Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, today, as much as I think about people who are sick and suffering, and I think about people that are living in Ukraine this morning, I think about people that are persecuted, they're in prison today in Muslim countries, communist countries, people that fear for their lives. As much as I think about marriages that are struggling or broken, as much as I think about families that are estranged from each other, think about rebellious children, and we could go on and on and on with all of that, but it's not so much important that I know, it's important that you know, as we just sang. And we thank you for that amazing grace, and we thank you, Father, that that grace that causes you not only to know, but to act on our behalf. And we pray that you would do that as the healer, as the restorer of broken hearts. Father, we pray that you would do things that would glorify and magnify your name. But Father, I also have on my heart today that we ought to pray for those who are single, those who are widowed, those who have gone through the pain of divorce, those who are waiting for someone to come along that you have made for them. And I pray, Lord, for them and pray for single parents and pray, Father, that you would bless those who are lonely. Pray, Lord, that we wouldn't forget them because they're near and dear to your heart. And pray, Lord, that we would not forget them and we would minister to them and we would care for them and they would know that they are loved by you and loved by their church family. So, Father, it's a privilege to be here today, and it's an honor to open up a Bible and to look at what your Word says, your Word that you inspired, your Word that you preserved, your Word that you have given us the privilege to hold in our hands and to read with our own eyes, but more importantly, to receive it with a new heart that you gave us when we were saved. So, Lord, for those who are not saved, we pray for their salvation. For those who are saved, we pray that they would be built up and strengthened and edified today. And we pray that as a church, we would be unified so that you are glorified and that we would leave this place today filled with the Spirit of God, taking the message of Christ wherever we may go. And we pray that we would see fruit from that. So, Lord, as our life and as our love and as our burden bearer we look to you today and we pray this in jesus name amen name exodus not at exodus chapter 34 we'll move on down moses is up on the mountain as you know and uh this is after the People of Israel have broken the covenant by making the golden calf. Moses has gone back up to plead for them. And uh, now the Lord says, as we saw last week, uh, take the tablets and make them yourself this time and bring them up here and uh, meet with me. And so Moses is up on top of the mountain at the summons of God. You only come before God at his invitation. You don't just waltz in, you come because he has called you. Now we're going to read in uh, Exodus 34 in just a moment. But as we get ready to do that, I want you to think about 
these uh, three things. I want you to notice this as we read through the text. First of all, that God obligates himself um, in this new covenant that he is making in this renewing uh, of the covenant. God obligates himself. Okay, pay, pay attention to that. That's important. Also notice that the requirements in this covenant concern worship. Now, they may touch a lot of different parts of life, but they touch and concern worship because you remember Jesus told the uh, woman at the well that the Father is seeking worshipers. In spirit and in truth, the Father is seeking worshipers. And every part of life is worship. He's not seeking a worship service or a worship time. He's seeking a worshiper. That's you. Every part of your life, 24-7, is an act of worship, and everything, your worship touches every part of your life. And then thirdly, will you notice too, that the covenant here, even though it is a covenant that Israel is going to participate in, you'll notice as we read through this, the covenant is actually made with Moses. And Moses, of course, as we saw last week, represents Jesus Christ. The Bible says there's one mediator between God and man, and that is the man Christ Jesus. And so we pray to the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ, our mediator. Well, Moses is a picture of that mediator, and it's as if when you, you're going to see that God makes a covenant, making it with Moses is the same as making it with all the people because the people of Israel come to God through their mediator on the mountain, which is Moses, again, a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Exodus 34, and we're going to start reading in verse 10. We'll read down to verse 17. So if you're ready for God's word this morning, say amen. amen. Let's read it. And he said, this is God, Behold, I make a covenant before all your people, I will do marvels such as have not been done in all the earth nor in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord. For it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I am driving, notice it's present tense, and they're not even away from Sinai yet. I am driving out from before you the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Now take heed to yourself. In other words, don't worry about the enemy. I'll take care of that. You watch yourself. Take heed to yourself lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you were going, lest it be a snare in your midst. Somebody said, a rock in your shoe. Snare in your midst. But you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, and cut down their wooden images. For you shall worship no other god. At all. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, 
And they play the harlot with their gods and make sacrifices to their gods. And one of them invites you and you eat of his sacrifice and you take of his daughters for your sons and his daughters play the harlot with their gods and make your sons play the harlot with their gods. Notice how he uses marriage terms and adultery terms here because that's exactly what it is when we stray from the Lord. And then he ends up by saying something that you would think they would already know. You shall make no molded gods for yourselves. And so whether it is somebody else's God or whether it is a God you make for yourself, the Lord is saying here, I don't want you involved in any of it because that is spiritually unfaithful to me. And so God is renewing a covenant. Why did he have to renew the covenant? Well, when he made that covenant with Israel before, and they said, all that the Lord says we will do. Remember that? How long was it before they go to Aaron and say, we don't even know where, you know, what's his name? Moses. You say, did they say that? Kind of. They said, as for this Moses, we do not know where he is. It's kind of, you know, like, uh, you know, we don't even know where that, uh, 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 yeah, yeah, Moses, that's his name. We don't even know where he is, but we do know this. We want to have a God that we can follow. And so Aaron, the brother of this man, Moses, he sort of had spiritual amnesia too, and he makes the golden calf. And so the covenant is broken. And so when we look at this renewal of the covenant that God is making with Israel, it kind of reminds us of the fact that you and I are lawbreakers as well. Sin, we know what to do and we know what not to do and we do it anyway. We don't do what we should and we do what we shouldn't. That's the life that we live. That's why we are little kids who need parents to teach us and to train us because it's in our nature, even when we're little, to do the wrong things. We have to be shaped and corrected to uh, go the right way. But even that doesn't equip us for being right with God because we have broken His law. We're the unfaithful wife, we're the unfaithful husband who comes back to the Lord and we ask Him to forgive us. And if He did uh, what He ought to do and what we deserve... He would say, I don't want anything to do with you anymore. This covenant, this marriage, because marriage is a covenant, it is over. And God could have said that at this particular time. It's been nice while it lasted, but you've been unfaithful. This marriage is over. But Moses has prayed for the people as our Lord prays for us. Moses has defended the people as our Lord defends us before the throne even today. And so as we see this picture of how we need a mediator, we uh, look at this and we get a, maybe a clearer understanding. And I want you to notice that at the very first of what we read, God did not say, let's make a covenant or let's covenant together. God makes a statement, I am making a covenant. Now he had to do that because God is going to graciously initiate the covenant that he makes with his people. 
You know, some people give the idea that God is in heaven and he's waiting for us to respond to him, to respond to his love, to respond to his grace. And the truth of the matter is, if God doesn't initiate this, none of us would understand. Read Romans chapter 3. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks after God. It's not a matter of education. It's not a matter of information or anything like that. We would be just like ancient Israel was, that no sooner would we say yes to the covenant than we would be straying. And uh, notice in there he talks about playing the harlot, committing adultery, prostitution, that type of thing, violating the vows and the terms of the covenant. Well, Israel has already done this. And it's as if God is saying in that first verse that we looked at, that um, this is something that God says, I can't trust you, Israel, with this, so I'm going to take it all upon myself. And it's also interesting that when the Lord Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, he said when he took the cup, take and drink, for this is the blood of a new covenant. And it's a new covenant in my blood. Not in your performance, not in your action, but it is in me. I'm taking it all upon myself. And that's what the Lord has to do or none of us would ever be faithful. None of us would be secure. Somebody said not too long ago that uh, if I could lose my salvation, I would lose my salvation. Well, that's what Israel is doing here. They are breaking the covenant. And if God doesn't take it upon himself to make this covenant with Israel, Israel is gone. Israel is destroyed. There is no relationship. There is no walk with God. There is no promised land. The wrath of God would absolutely destroy them. So I want you to think about when you got saved. It may have felt like that you were looking for God. But there's a problem with that because the Bible says no one seeks after God. You might have thought that you were coming to God and God responded to you. It may have seemed that way and it may have felt that way. But the truth of the matter is it was the Spirit of God that drew you because Jesus said no one can come uh, to my Father except the Spirit draw him, right? And it was he who wrote your name in the Lamb's book of life. And when did that happen? Read the book of Revelation. It was written there from before the foundation of the world. Jesus even said in John chapter 14, he gave us a promise. He was going to go away and he was going to come back. But in the meantime, what is he doing? He's preparing a place for us. And he said, I go to prepare a place for you. All of this is on God. God loved the world, and he sent his son. We didn't ask for the son. We didn't pray for the son. We didn't ask for a sacrifice. We weren't looking for anything like that. In fact, the Bible says, he came into his own, and his own did what? Received him not. That's right. This is all coming from God. And so God has to graciously, that means we don't deserve it, graciously initiate and sustain the covenant. Israel would break it in a heartbeat. You and I would break it in a heartbeat. But we are saved and we are secure. And Israel was safe and secure. They were going to survive. They were going to go into the promised land. Why? Because God is the one who sustains the covenant. Don't ever, ever forget that. 
their word and their commitment, their faith and their promises was no good. But the promise of God is always good and he never backs away from his word or fails to keep his promises. That's the first thing. Second thing, notice that in this passage, the covenant is miraculous. You know, whenever you say you want to see a miracle, you usually want to, uh, you're talking about something dramatic and something that you can see and touch and feel. But did you know that whenever you trusted Christ and you were born again, a miracle took place. You were raised from the dead. The Bible says that all of us, before we are saved, we are rebels from the Lord. That's certainly true. The Bible says that we were residents of the kingdom of darkness. That is certainly true. But it also says something else that is emphasized in Scripture that we need to get. We are dead, dead spiritually in our trespasses and sins. And what can a dead person do to improve themselves? Now, we may take somebody who dies and we may dress them up. We may have a a mortician that uh, fixes their hair and puts makeup on them and clothes them and lays them out so that they look better than they would in their normal state. But the dead person didn't do any of that for themselves. And the dead person cannot decide to be to be undead or call themselves undead or alive or anything like that at all. In fact, if we were to uh, see somebody, I've, I've heard just hundreds of times it seems like when I'm standing by a casket at a funeral, somebody would come up and say, oh, if you could only set up, if you could only talk to me. And I uh, am thinking if that happened, we would clear the room fast. That would be frightening even though we would want that. And the reason that we say that, and the reason we don't expect that to happen, is because we are powerless to raise the dead, and the dead are powerless to raise themselves. Now, if you transfer that over to where you were before you were saved, where you were when God found you, He didn't just dress you up, put a little makeup on you, and lay you out in a nice, pretty box with a lot of flowers around it. He raised you from the dead. That is called a miracle. You are now a child of God. You're not a child of the devil. You are no longer in the kingdom of darkness, but now you are in the kingdom of light. light, And now you no longer have only death to anticipate, and then after death, hell for eternity. Now you have eternal life, and eternal life is God's life, which means the moment you were saved... God himself came to live in you and God brought you his life that will never, ever diminish or never go away. And that, my friend, is the greatest miracle that could ever, ever happen. Sometimes we think a great miracle would be someone healed of cancer. That is a great miracle. Someone that maybe a leg that has been amputated is reformed. That would be a tremendous miracle. But there is no miracle that we could ever experience on earth that comes even close to what God did for you when he saved your soul. Somebody say amen to that. That is the most amazing thing of all. 
And whenever you lead somebody to Christ, you're participating in a great miracle of God. Whenever you see someone that is saved and you greet someone that is saved and they profess their faith through the waters of baptism, you are witnessing a miracle because no one does that on their own. No one does that in their flesh. No one does that by their own power. But it is God who is at work in us, Scripture says, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And so Israel, where are they going to go if God doesn't work this miracle? What are they going to be? You would never hear of them. We read the names in there of Jebusites and Hivites and Perizzites and all of those kind of ites. Where are those people today? And Israel, this tiny group here, this nation that has just been freed from slavery in Egypt would have gone the way of all of those people had it not been for the miracle of God. It's amazing today that after all of these thousands of years, there are still Jews walking on the earth. And there is a nation called Israel by the plan and the promise and the provision and the protection of God. There's never been another race of people that has been so discriminated against there's never been another race of people where there have been so many holocausts against them, and yet they survive. Others have been wiped out by genocide. Others have been wiped out by their own holocaust. And we don't know where they are, and we don't know their history, and we don't know what to think or, or, or anything like that about them. We never hear about them, even in our history classes, sadly. But there is a group that has survived. Why? Because the covenant God made with them was a miraculous covenant. And you'll notice when he says about the miracle he's going to work, he's going to do something for this race of people, for this nation of people, that he's not going to do for any other nation or any other people. It is an awesome, amazing, wonderful thing because these are, of course, the people of God. It's a miraculous covenant. And he's going to do marvels, he says. Things that have not been done in all the earth nor in any nation. This is something that is amazing for Israel. And this is something that we as the people of God on this side of the cross, we experience it and we experience it like no other people. You are not just another person on earth. You're the purchased, beloved possession of a holy, almighty God who said he will never leave you or forsake you, who has made promises to you like he has not made to any other person on the face of the earth. You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. And the only response is, therefore, glorify God in your body, which is the Lord's. That's the call that we have. Thirdly, notice that the covenant differentiates our God from all others. Why does God want them to live and worship and act in the ways that he has prescribed? What, is he trying to make life hard for him? Does he want them to uh, just not enjoy life? What is the deal? What's going on? And uh, he tells us that all the people among whom you are shall see the work of of the Lord. Do you know that's why you're still on earth? 
God could have saved you and immediately taken you to heaven and spared you an awful, awful lot of pain and heartache and trials and tribulation. But he's left you here that he might be on display in your life. When you go into uh, some houses, you may see some one cabinet that just has dishes. You may see another cabinet has paper plates in it. Then you see that one cabinet and it's got the china in it, right? And you don't just go up and take the china and take it outside and let the kids eat off of it uh, while they're playing. You don't do that. You reserve that for special occasions and it is valued, it is prized. It may be a family heirloom. In uh, our house, it's my mother's china. We treat it very carefully and we have it on display. I was thinking about that, that you and I in this world, we are the china cabinet of God. We are here in this world that we might display a God of infinite worth and a God of infinite value. And it ought to be that through our lives, the way that we handle tragedy, the way that we handle problems, the way that we handle people, the way that we handle our money, the way that we work, the way that we live, it ought to be that there is something on display in our life that sets us apart from everyone else in the world. But if that's all that were done, then we would receive the glory and we would receive the praise. But you see, nobody comes into the house and simply says, what a nice china cabinet. They say, oh, tell me about the china. And you tell your friends and other people, oh, that was my mother's, that was my grandmother's, that's been in our family since the 1700s. Whatever it might be, you talk about the china, and the purpose of the china hutch, as beautiful as it may be, is actually to spotlight the china. Child of God, your life is not just so that others may see that you are different. That's not what God said here. It's going to be obvious you're going to be different. It's going to be obvious that Israel is going to be different. But God said that others may see that I am not like the gods that they have made. I'm not like the gods that they have created. I'm not like their gods that are made of stone and wood. I'm not like their gods that can't see and can't smell and can't speak. I'm not like their gods that are powerless things, lifeless things. I am the true and the living God. And so when other people see you, what do they surmise about the God that you worship? They probably know you were in church. But what about your God? It's not so much about the church that we ought to be concerned with, even though that's important. It's the God that we worship at the church that ought to be on display in your life. And so God makes it clear here that I want this covenant to be made. I'm going to sustain it. And I want this to be so that everybody in the world says, Wow! Who is your God? And it's got to go there. And the reason we're not the salt and the light that we ought to be and that we want to be and that we would desire to be on this earth 
is because far too often people are looking at us and they're not really looking at Jesus. They're not really seeing the God that we serve in our lives. They think we're just moral or a different kind of morality in the world in which we live. They think that there are just certain things we do, like going to church on time change Sunday morning, and there are certain things that we don't do. And we would talk about all the things that we don't do. And we would tell them, and you shouldn't do this either. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, it really doesn't matter in the world what they do or what they don't do if they do not know Christ as a sacrifice for their sins. Moral people go to hell too. You've got to have your sin forgiven through the Lord Jesus Christ. So the covenant differentiates our God from all others. Everybody is a worshiper of something. And he said, For it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. And God said, I'm going to display myself and show the difference between Israel and Egypt. Israel's God and the gods of Egypt. And then later I'm going to show the difference between Israel and the Canaanites and the God of Israel and the gods of the Canaanites. I always get a little bit tickled when I think about the time when the Ark of the Covenant, Saul took it into battle like it was a good luck charm and the Philistines captured it. God allowed them to do that because he was telling Saul, you're nothing, you're no more but uh, nothing more than a superstitious idolater because you think that you have God in a box. Well, the Philistines capture the Ark of the Covenant, and they put it in the temple of their god, Dagon. You remember this story? And they come in the next day, and they find that Dagon has fallen down and is bowing before the Ark of the Covenant. Well, they can't have that. That means that their god is inferior to the god of the Jews. And so they do this day after day after day until... They come in and they find that their God is broken into pieces and they go, get that thing out of here. And it's a display of the power of God. It's not just the strength of the Israelis. It's not just the ingenuity of the Jews. It is the power of God that they remain even to this day. This is a wonderful powerful, miraculous covenant. But the main thing about it is who made the covenant and it is the God of the Israelis. A different God with a different purpose, different morals and a different power. And fourthly, notice that the covenant protects God's people. When you start reading in verse 11 and he talks about all of the things that they are to observe, all of the things that they are to abstain from and stay away from. Why would God do that? Is God simply saying, now all the Canaanites are going to be having a lot of fun, but not you. Well, that's the way we act when we're in the world. We act as though the world is really living it up. You're only looking at a a small portion of their life. Yeah, you may see them when they are living it up, And they may be at the casino or they may be at the bar or wherever they are or whatever they're doing. And it may look like life is going good for them in their adultery and in all of the things that they're doing, their drug and alcohol abuse. But you're seeing just the surface. You know, they say that when you see an iceberg, we talk about just the tip of the iceberg. 
Because what you see above water is a small part. The biggest part of the iceberg is below water. And I want to tell you, the world is underwater today. And whatever you see that you're jealous of, whatever you see that tempts you, whatever you see that kind of looks like, well, they're having fun and they're uh, enjoying life a whole lot more than I am, you're only seeing the tip of the iceberg. If you could see the pain, if you could see the heartache, if you could see the suicide, if you could see the drug abuse, if you could see the broken relationships and the broken homes, if you could see the depression, if you could see all of those things that they try to cover up, you wouldn't be nearly as tempted. And what God is doing is saying, I don't want you going into Canaan and then start worshiping their gods. Because it seems fun and it seems joyful on the surface, but the heartache and the pain that comes later on is going to be unbearable to you. And all we have to do is read through the Old Testament and find out that it was time after time after time after time after time Israel bore the brunt of their sin and of their unfaithfulness. And had God not been faithful to them, you would never hear of them ever again. They would be gone off of the face of the earth. But the point is our God is a faithful God. And why does he tell us to stay away from things like he did the Israelites here. Why is it that he tells us that? Number one, he wants to protect you. And number two, he wants to preserve you. God wants your life to be a life that is joyful, not sorrowful. God wants you to have the kind of life that has integrity, that has power, that has legacy that you can leave behind for your children rather than a life of shame. Have you ever heard those stories about a family where... The, uh, the dad or granddad dies. And they thought he was one type of man. And then as they begin to go through his things, as they begin to sort out his life, they find out he was something else in his true life. And maybe he had another family, or maybe he was having an affair, or maybe he was addicted to drugs, or maybe he was a criminal and nobody knew about it. And how terrible it is for the family to find that out. God says, I want to spare you from all of that. I want you to be able to live the kind of life of integrity that your children and your grandchildren can look and say, my grandpa, my grandma, my mom and my dad, they know Jesus and I saw Jesus in them. And then even after your death, it is borne out and it's just more of the same. That's what Paul said, for me to live is Christ. I'm putting Christ on display in my life, and to die is gain. It's just more of the same. Whether I'm living or whether I am dead, I am the Lord's, he said at one place. And that's the way God wants Israel to live in this situation. I want you to have me on such display that there's no hypocrisy, there's no fakery, there's nothing else where somebody finds out the truth. I don't want you participating in the way that the world is going. They are passing away. That's what it says in the book of 1 John. The world is passing away. Passing away. That's an interesting term, isn't it? That's a familiar term. Oh, wait a minute. I got a call one time back in 1998. And my dad called and said, I've got bad news about your grandma. She, you know what he said? Passed away. Passed away. Why do we say that? It's a death term. They're gone out of the body. Why do you think that John used that term to describe the world? The world is passing away. I want you to think when you go through these doors 
And when you walk outside, this world is dying. This world is passing away. And as you saw in Sunday school this morning, you're not. You're headed to a new place, a place of eternal life, a place where John, as he was describing heaven, couldn't go any further with it, so all he could do is tell you what's not there. And that's why the Apostle Paul said, Eye hath not seen, and ear hath not heard, neither hath it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. How many of you love Jesus this morning? Say amen. Don't participate in everything that's going on out there. Don't get involved in it. Don't go the direction that they are going because they're passing away and it is destruction. And have you noticed that with the more quote-unquote freedom that comes up, the sexual freedom, not only for heterosexuals, we can have free love anytime we want with anyone we want. That's where it started. Then it went into homosexuality. Now it's where we have to change our gender and the world is not getting happier. Suicide rates are going up. What's going on? The world is passing away. Why is it that with every treaty we make, all the alliances that we make, why did Russia invade Ukraine? I wish I knew. I would advise our governmental leaders. But I don't really know. But I do know this. Throughout world history... No matter what time period you go to, there's always been somebody with a thirst and a lust for what somebody else has. I want it. Hitler, Alexander the Great, the Caesars, Nebuchadnezzar, going all the way back there into Bible times. Always something that somebody else wants. Why? Because we are a fallen race, fallen people, living out our depravity, headed toward death. And so the lost world, they clamor for everything they can get now. Why? Because this is the best it ever gets for them. And they grab it, and they hold it, and they go to war over it, and they pervert it, and they mess it up. And as children of God, why would we want to even participate in something that is dead and dying? That makes about as much sense as, okay, everybody, we're leaving today. Head to the funeral home of your choice and go in and uh, take a nap. You go, I'm not doing anything like that. Why? There's something about us that we recoil from death, don't we? We recoil from it. And we ought to be the same way as we are walking in this world. They are dying. It is rotten. It is not going the right direction. So why do we feel like we're the ones that are suffering? Why do we feel like we're the ones on the losing end? Why are we the ones in despair? Look up, the Bible says, your redemption draws nigh. And so God gives us, gives Israel these commands just as he gives us various commands because he wants to protect us and preserve us on the earth because we can be tempted and we can fall as well. So we want to make sure that we don't. Now, the next thing that we notice here as we kind of uh, head toward the end of this is you, you think about all of the things that God is saying here and then he ends up with, you shall not make any molten gods. Now, 
he's already said that. Yeah, that's true. But let's also be fair. They've already violated it too. So whenever you look and you say, I wonder why God would say that again, it must be because they were going to have a propensity to violate it again. And they are going to play the harlot. They are going to commit adultery spiritually on God. Once again, it's not over. They're going to do the same thing that they have done before. And so when we think about this covenant and the actions and the things that are supposed to protect God's people and these things that we're supposed to uh, stay away from, could it be that God is saying, I know that you're not going to? And I know that you are not going to be, if I just leave you on your own, what you're supposed to do. So I'm going to underscore something because the covenant also improves God's people. That's what sanctification is all about. God loves us the way we are, but he loves us too much to let us stay that way. He's working on you. He's working on me. He was working on Israel. And he was reminding them, don't go back to what you have been doing before. Isn't it sad whenever you see a Christian who goes back to something? When they go back to an old lifestyle, they go back to an old habit, they go back to an old sin. Don't be like Lot's wife. She turned into a pillar of salt because she was looking back. Quit looking back. Be like the Apostle Paul. He said, I press on to the mark of the high calling of Jesus Christ. I forget those things that are behind and I move forward. I'm going on. Because we're move, marching on the upward way. New heights I'm gaining every day. What are we doing that for? Because we're doing better than we were last week, last month, last year, the last decade. God is improving our lives. And sometimes in order to improve that, he has to remind us of some things that can be, we can be vulnerable to. And some things that can trip us up. And so Israel, move past your failures. Israel, move on. Make progress. Get out of here. You got to get out of the desert. You got to get into the promised land. But every time you uh, worship an idol, it's going to set you back. Every time it's going to put you back where you don't want to be. You got to move on to new challenges, new opportunities, and moving ahead to bless the next generation. And this is one of the saddest things in this story. This generation that was delivered, this generation that was there at Mount Sinai, this generation that saw the flames and heard the thunder, this generation that received this word from God was the generation that failed miserably and never got to enter the promised land, not even Moses. That next generation was handicapped because the previous generation didn't help them out. Don't handicap your children don't handicap your grandchildren by going back where you were before and i just close by reminding you this is all about grace and it's all about god that your relationship with god is based on a gracious covenant that he made on your behalf through the death burial and resurrection of the lord jesus christ this covenant that you have in relationship with God you have is indeed miraculous because you have been born again, brought from death to life, from darkness to light. You are a different person than you were before, never to be the same again. That your relationship with God was likewise brought about to show the glory 
of the true and the living God. And everywhere you go, people ought to see Jesus in you. They shouldn't be talking about you, but talking about your Lord. And you should be talking about Him as well. That this relationship you have with God and His covenant is to protect you and to preserve you so that your life doesn't just pass away, that it's not just the vapor that disappears, but it lives on after you and it influences generations after you. It is a high and a holy calling. And it is to make you progress instead of regress. Don't look back. Don't go back. God has better things for you. And it's not just in this life, but it does include this life. So that we do not handicap those who follow behind us, but we can pass the baton off to them so that they can take it and keep running generation after generation after generation until the Lord Jesus comes. Wouldn't you like to see it that in your family there is somebody still serving the Lord when Jesus comes, even if it's not for another thousand years? Wouldn't it be great to see that the ministry of this church continues on long after we're dead and gone because we have set a good example, we have set a good pace, we have spotlighted and glorified Jesus and handed off the baton to another generation and they take it and they run for the glory of God and hand it off to someone else. And when we stand before the throne and are rewarded, we're rewarded for what takes place in upcoming generations because we were the influence on them that was passed on and on and on and on and on until the Lord Jesus comes. Do you think about all of that? That's exciting. That's wonderful. But Israel couldn't see that. Israel had this problem that they couldn't really see beyond the next 15 minutes. Oh, isn't God awesome? Isn't it wonderful? Break out the tambourines. Let's have a dance and let's celebrate God. Oh, I'm so thirsty. What are we going to do? We should have stayed in Egypt. Isn't it wonderful how God delivered us and has slain the horse and the rider and they're thrown into the sea? What are we going to eat? Moses, did you bring us out here to die? Were there not enough graves in Egypt? you get the picture? And that picture is not really just a picture. And I'll close with this. It is a mirror. It's a mirror. Because we do the same things. It's time to quit. It's time to lay those things down. It's time to confess that sin. And it's time to start taking some steps forward for the glory of God. Heavenly Father... Some people don't know you today, and it is our prayer, the prayer of this entire church, that today they would repent of their sins, and that they would understand by the Holy Spirit and the truth of the gospel that Jesus, the Savior, died on the cross, paid for sins in full, rose from the dead, and everyone who turns from their sin And trust in Christ as Savior and Lord receives the gift of eternal life. But Lord, it is time for those of us who know you to quit playing games. To quit reading the Bible and just kind of passing it off as for another time, another place, another situation. 
Instead of understanding, these things are written, Paul said, for our warning, for our admonition, that we would not be like them. Forgive us, Father, for being so much like ancient Israel. Please let us be like Jesus. And thank you that the covenant you made with us is an everlasting one in your blood and for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name that we surrender to you. Amen and amen. Thank you.